The following is a message by Pastor Mike Nye of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. All right, that got me thinking. On the back of your bulletin, it says that there is going to be an ascension service on Thursday, May 26th, down at St. James in the chapel, in the, that really nice big room. Now, right below that, it says there's going to be an ascension service choir. So, if you want to be part of like what you just saw up here, you can contact my wife, Allison, and say, I would like to be in the choir. And this, uh, I think we're hoping that the choir is going to be uh, out of multiple churches, right? Because the Ascension uh, service is, is going to be um, out of multiple churches. So if you'd like to sing in a choir, let Allison know. Please, uh, sooner the better. That will help her organize uh, earlier and better. And that will make my life a lot easier. Thank you. Before the kids go to Children's Church, I wanted to just, something that we don't often do, but I wanted to give us an opportunity. It's been a few weeks since we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus and give you an opportunity to share what that means to you, what that has meant to you in your life that Jesus resurrected from the dead. Um, How has that affected your life? What kind of victory maybe have you seen in your life? So if you'd like to share, we'll just give a few moments for that. You just need to speak as loudly as you can we can all hear. Yes, Chuck. Gives Chuck hope. Yes, amen. It can be that short. Amen. That was my sermon. So after this, we're pretty much done. That can be that short. Thank you. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Anybody else? All right. I don't want to cut anybody short. That's our word for the day. It's short, apparently. I better stop there before I get in trouble. All right. Children, you can be dismissed for Children's Church. The rest of you can turn to 1 Corinthians 15. I said that we would do this in a two-part, this would be a two-part mini-series, chapter 15. It's rather lengthy. And so um, we did verses 1 through 28. We're going to just skip over 29 through 34 uh, for today. And pick up at 35 through 58. If you really want to know my thoughts on 29 through 34, I'm available for like a big breakfast during the week sometime or coffee and we can talk about that. But let me read 35 through 58. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. 
There's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed." For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The word of the Lord. Amen. He is risen. And so we remember we're still in this time of Easter before we get to Pentecost. And last week we were reminded from the beginning of this chapter what the, what the gospel is. This is Paul's short version of the gospel, right? Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the gospel which we have received, in which we stand, and by which we are being saved if we hold fast the word, he says. And one of the truths that helps us hold fast the word is the reality of our bodily resurrection. Now, I, th I think I said this last week, but I just want to reiterate that what Paul is addressing here is the resurrection body as the eternal body, that final resurrection. So he's not talking about a situation like Lazarus, where Lazarus died and was in the grave for four days and Jesus brought him back to life. Because Lazarus' body died again. So those people whose bodies were raised at different points throughout Scripture that we read about, they died again. What Paul's addressing here is a time coming when we will have a new kind of body that will never die. And so that's what we're talking about in terms of resurrection. 
Because Jesus resurrected from the dead, we have confidence that we will resurrect from the dead. This is what Paul's initially talking about in, the, in uh, verses 1 through 28. He's saying that Jesus is the first fruits that demonstrates to us that we will have a new body. We will be raised from the dead. And so um, the second, though, last week when I was talking about this, I mentioned that there's a second part of this, another part of this, and that's what we're going to look at today in the second half of this chapter. This first fruits idea it has with it proof that we will resurrect, but it also has with it uh, the example or what it, what it will look like um, when we resurrect. Now, earlier Paul had mentioned that some in Corinth were saying there's no resurrection. People don't come back to life at the end. Again, not so much that they were saying Lazarus didn't come back to life, as much as they were just saying at the end there's no resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Just life's done. That's it. Or maybe spirit beings live on forever, but the body is done. And Paul uh, has addressed that. He's, he, he's Given proof here, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus didn't raise from the dead, but Jesus did raise from the dead, and so we know there is a resurrection for the dead. But then he, then he, then he says, you know what, somebody might ask a question like this, and it's likely that they did. Well, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? That seems like a reasonable question. We, we want to know what, what's the body going to look like. But apparently, the people asking Paul this were not we're not asking it because they really wanted to know. It appears that they were probably asking it as a way of trying to refute Paul's argument that there's a resurrection. Oh, yeah? If we're resurrected, what kind of body, Paul? What are we going to look like? Because what does he say right after he asks that question? He says, you foolish person. That's not a real kind thing to say. Somebody comes and they ask you an honest question. Hey, what time is it? You don't go, you foolish person. Don't you know it's noon? The sun's up in the middle of the sky? What are you thinking? He's, not, he's addressing here a group of people who likely are trying to disprove this resurrection from the dead. And there's all kinds of various things that they might be thinking, and we're not going to get into that. But we're going to understand here that he's going to go into a, a evidence uh, that he's going to put forth of what the body is going to be like. Now, he's not going to draw them a picture of the resurrected body and tell us all the exact details. In fact, he'll tell us later, this is a, this is a mystery. I'm going to unfold some of it for you here, but I'm not going to unfold all of it because Paul himself probably didn't understand all of it necessarily. But he starts off with this. Understand that when you sow something, nothing comes from it unless it dies. Right? We're, we're in an uh, agriculture county, and we understand this. When you put a seed in the ground, that seed has to die in order for something else to come from it. I like, plant, I like the planting of green beans, because if you get out there at the right time, you see the little bean plant come up, but you still see the, the hull of the seed kind of laying on it, right? The seed had to die in order for this new plant to come out of it. And you have to leave it alone. Not like one daughter that planted a, was it plum, I think, wanted a plum tree and kept going up every day and digging it up to see if it was growing yet. <laughs> you can't do that. You've got to let it die. You've got to let it die. So Paul says you're going to sow something. Uh, no, no life's going to come unless it dies. And when you sow, what you sow is not the body that is to be, 
but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. So whatever you're trying to grow, you don't, you don't plant that thing. You plant just the seed because that's, what, that's what's going to grow into something else. And it looks different. It looks different than what you planted. So he's already setting up here that the resurrection body isn't going to look exactly or be exactly like our existing bodies, but it's going to be similar, right? There's going to be similarities. They, they don't look completely unlike to one another, is, is his point. And then he just reminds us that God is the one who gives the bodies that he chooses, and he gives them for a purpose. Humans have a human body to do human things. Four-legged animals have four-legged animal bodies to do four-legged animal things. Birds have a bird body. You can't just stick a couple of wings on a dog and think it's going to fly. There's, there's a different structure to a bird. And you can't just put a fin on a fi uh, bird and stick it in the water and think it's going to swim. Fish have a different kind of body. Heavenly bodies are different from one another. Just think about what you've learned about the planets. Just a, just a few, what is it, eight or nine planets that we, that we talk about um, and how different they are from one another. God has made them all different. There's a, there's a, there's a difference and a uniqueness and a, and a specific purpose for each of those bodies. And so he's getting at that's, that's how it is with the resurrection of the dead. And so he's kind of summing up here. One, the resurrection has to involve death. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Unless they're put in the ground dead, there's no new body. Right? Secondly, that body is going to be like the one buried, but not exactly the same. And third, it's going to be very specific to what that person needs according to God's plan. He's going to give them the body that they need to have to live forever. And he goes now in this uh, verses 42 through 45, uh, 44, sorry, uh, he, he gives a contrast of this earthy body and this resurrected body. And we're going to just look at that. Four, four contrasts. The first one is, that what is sown, and so when, when he's saying sown, he was using this metaphor still, but he's basically saying what is put in the ground, the body that's buried, is perishable. Meaning it's liable to death. Right? Our earthly bodies, the body you're in right now, is liable to death. Most of us know that. Um, probably all of us know that. Most of us accept that. The young don't always but it's liable to death. There's a body liable to death. But, look, what's the contrast? It's going to be raised imperishable. A resurrected body will never die again. So back, again, remember Lazarus. Lazarus dies. He's brought back to life, but he dies again at some point. His body is still perishable. It's not yet a resurrected body. But the resurrected body that Lazarus will receive when Jesus returns will be, not be, I should say, will not be liable to death. Never again will the body die. It is sown in dishonor. And the idea behind that is that our bodies are, are wrecked and broken because of sin. They're wrecked and broken because of sin. Sin is just mess this all up. 
Now, sometimes that's because our sin has led us to that direction, right? Um, a, a person has abused things that now kill their body. They, they've drunk way too much alcohol, and it's just ruined their organs, and they die. They've smoked all their life, and their lungs are now shot. They've um, not controlled uh, various things in their life, and because of sin, their body is wrecked. But not all of that is a direct correlation. It's just, uh, it's a direct correlation, actually, and we find this later, to Adam. Because Adam's sin, our bodies then are wrecked by that. They're broken. They're not, they're not completely what they're supposed to be. So it is wrecked, broken, unable, and this is the other part of that, it's unable to be repaired of its own resources. Now, granted, your body, if you, if you cut yourself today, it's going to heal. Although you know, as the older you get, the healing seems to take a little longer. But the body, in and of itself, is not capable of keeping itself going permanently. I mean, think about it. People that are trying to extend their life, everything they do comes from outside of their body. Because their body's not going to be able to do it. It's, it's broken. But... It's going to be raised in glory. Our resurrected body will never be marred by sin again. That's what Paul's telling us. Here's the contrast. The third contrast is that it's sown in weakness. We have a weak body. Our body cannot resist the onset of age. How fitting that this was on a birthday Sunday. <laughs> right? Every, every year on your birthday, you're reminded that age is going to get me. My body cannot resist it, no matter how much I try. The body is too weak to resist the debilitation of disease. People die of disease all the time. The body is too weak to resist the overwhelming power of an accident. Car crash, and there's dead bodies, and they were not able to stop themselves. From dying. It's a weak, it's a weak body. It's sown a weak body, but it's raised in power. Now that power is not so much like the worldly power we think of. I'm, I'm stronger than you, I'm bigger than you, I can fight better than you, I've got more muscle. The power is this: that the resurrected body will never ever again succumb to sickness or disease or an overwhelming accident. It's a wonderful thing. And it's sown a natural body. Uh, that is, it is a earthy body. It's, uh, later he says it's dust. It's frail. It's severely limited. Uh, it's just things our body cannot do. No matter how young we are. No matter how much we try. And so we, and when we do want to do those things, we usually live them out vicariously through a sci-fi movie, Right? All the things that I wanted to do, my superhero does. But that's not the real body. That's not, what's, that's not what's really going on. It's a natural body, but it will be raised a spiritual body. And we've got to be careful here because by spiritual, we're not, we're not talking about um, this sort of ghost idea, like a, like a ghost, like a, like a spirit being. What's really in mind here is it's, a, it's, it's spiritual in that he uses the word later, heavenly. It's, it's different it's from a different dimension, if you will. It's not earthy. It, there's, a, there's a spiritness to us. 
It's, uh, one commentator says it this way. It's, it's a fully spirit-animated body now. That's the resurrected body. We're still not fully spirit-animated, which is why we have these various commands in the Bible to walk in the spirit and to not grieve the spirit. We're not fully spirit-animated at this point. But in a resurrected body, you will be fully spirit-animated. It will be a spiritual body. Like Jesus' body. And that's why Jesus is the first fruits, because he shows what kind of body we will have. Remember, after his resurrection, he demonstrated that. It's a body that eats and can be touched, but it's also a body that seems to defy certain things that we understand like gravity and space, right? Again, we don't know how all this is going to turn out in the end, but we just know there's something different about this body. That's the main thing that we got to get at. There's something different about it, and that thing is better. And what's different about it is it's never going to die. It's never going to succumb to sickness or disease. It's never going to be broken it's going to be fully spirit animated for eternity. That's why it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, but the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now, he points then in 46 to this, but he puts this little phrase in there, it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. We're going to unpack this little section here because it's very important. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we are born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I've got two central themes today, um, or, or two ways of getting at a central theme, if you will. One of them is this right here. The, the encouragement is in verse 49 that if you have a body like the first Adam, you live with confidence because you will have a body like the second Adam. Having, having been, now he's writing, of course, to believers. But here's the hope that the body I have now, knowing that it's dust, knowing that it's frail, knowing that it's perishable and all of those things, shouldn't put me in despair when I come to this verse and I realize, wait a minute, I've been made in the image of this first Adam. I will certainly then be made in the image of the last Adam, is what Paul is saying here. When we're tempted to disdain our earthly bodies, we need to remember this. When we're tempted to be angry at what is happening to our body or the body of somebody we love, we need to remember this. When we're tempted to reject our body, our earthly body, we need to remember this. And and we need to think about it this way. We need to think about it as an analogy with the law, the old covenant and the new covenant. And here's what I mean by that. The old covenant, the the law, was good, right? We agreed on that? Paul Paul said it anyway, so I'm going to stick with Paul. The law is good. In fact, I'm going to stick with Jesus because Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. It wasn't bad. He came to fulfill the law. It was good. But the law was never meant to save. It couldn't. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. It was weak. 
They couldn't do it. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. Okay? So what needed to happen? A new covenant. That new covenant is in Jesus Christ. It's permanent. So the old was good, but the old was not sufficient. It couldn't do. It couldn't be what it should be. And so the new comes. Now, the same is true with the body. And that's what Paul is saying. If you, if you move down to the next verse there, 50, he says, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the, imperishable inherit the, or the perishable inherit the imperishable. The body we have is not in and of itself bad. God didn't, God didn't create no junk, right? <laughs> As they used to say. The body we have is not bad. Don't, don't think like we've got this rotten carcass that we've got to get out of. I'm just calling out my good friend Jerry over there. That's not a rotten carcass we got to get rid of. Although the older you get, the more you think, yeah, I do got to get rid of it. I want to get rid of this. And that's a good thing. But it's not bad. When, when God made the earthly body, the body of dust, it wasn't bad. But it was never intended to be the end because it's perishable. It needs to become imperishable because the perishable cannot inherit the kingdom. And if you're trying to stay alive to get eternal life, you're going to fail because that was not the intention. Just as the law, as good as it was, was never intended to save, the body, as good as it is, was never intended to be that final eternal body. But rather, as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we certainly will bear the image of the man of heaven. And then Paul explains how this is going to happen. Look at verse 51. Behold, listen up. Look carefully at this. Pay close attention. Because I'm going to tell you a mystery. I'm going to tell you something that's been, been hidden for ages that, that, that people haven't really grasped. There, there's, there's, this, what's gonna, there's this worry, there's this concern. Now, the concern of, um, most, of a lot of people that he's talking to is not, again, that, um, that their loved ones wouldn't be with Jesus as much as it was what happens with the body. God made a body. God made us to have soul and body. What's going to happen with the body? Are we all just going to be spirits for the eternity, and, and he's saying, no, here's, here's the mystery, and there's two, two aspects to this mystery. The first is that um, while we will not all die, we will all have a different body. So don't be worried. Don't say to yourself, if Jesus comes before I die, well, I'm not going to get a resurrected body. But, but he says you will. You will be changed. You will be translated. Your present body will be changed into the eternal body. Don't know how that's going to happen, but apparently it's pretty quick because it's in the twinkling of an eye. Then <laughs> we don't need to know. In Thessalonians, he addresses the same issue, right? Don't worry. They're going to rise from the dead, and as they rise, as their bodies rise from the dead, they're going to be reunited with their spirit, and we who are still here are going to join them. And forever we're going to be with the Lord. So the trumpet's going to sound. The dead are going to be raised imperishable. 
And we are going to be changed as well. Why? Because this this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Otherwise, we don't don't inherit the kingdom. And here's, here's another reason why. Because when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, a prophecy is going to come true out of Isaiah, death is swallowed up in victory. Remind you what I said last week. When the bodies all resurrect from the dead, it is the, the call of God to say, death, you lose. It's all over. You're the last enemy, and I'm going to show that you're done by bringing all these bodies back to life in an imperishable, immortal life, one that never, ever can die again. And so Paul's, Paul's uh, rhetorical question is, so death, where's your victory then? Hmm. Where's, your, where's your sting? It's temporary. It's a temporary thing. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Now, we're not, Paul's not making fun of death in one sense. It's still real. It still is painful, both for the person dying and for the people that remain, because it is a separation that is not right. It is an enemy. It's a wicked, evil enemy. And there's a sting to it. But... He ends with 57, thanks be to God. This is why there's no true victory and no true sting. Because thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do we believe that? Because Paul says, if we do, then that's going to affect how we live. We're going to live our life in a particular way. Verse 58, therefore, because of these realities, because of these truths, because we have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, what does he say? Be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Think about it. Steadfast. Stay the course. Stay on track. Keep keep moving. Immovable. Don't be easily pushed off the course. Don't be dragged around by all kinds of whims of the world and what the world thinks is right. Don't be tricked by the trickery of people who begin to sow seeds of doubt. Is the body really going to come back to life? What would that look like? Don't, don't, don't go dig up the seed again to see if it's going to grow. Leave it. Let God take care of it. Be steadfast and movable and abounding in the work of the Lord. In other words, pressing out and doing the work of God. It won't be wasted. No, we're not wasting time and energy on things that don't really matter for eternity. Not sitting around idle and just blowing the time. But abounding, not, and look, Paul doesn't say abounding in work. That's a temptation for some of us, right? For some of us, a temptation is abounding in idleness. <laughs> I'm just going to hang out and do my own thing. 
Some of us escape the work of the Lord by abounding in work. And our work's not really all that profitable. But it's abounding in the work of the Lord. Doing what the scripture describes as the work God would have us do. And you're going to have to work that out in your life. As you read the scriptures and it directs you and says, this is how you should live. These are the kinds of things you should do. Spend time in the epistles and find out what Paul said we should do. Because that's what we want to abound in. Now, why can we do that with confidence? Because of the last part of that verse. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Whatever that is, that may be that you have prayed for the salvation of somebody for years and years and years. And you may go to your grave never seeing that salvation happen in their life. But you can do it because you know that labor is not in vain because it's in the Lord. Because there's a victory in Jesus that goes beyond what we see here to something eternal. All other kinds of work. A lot of the work we do in the Lord, by the way, doesn't look like it's amounting to much, does it? Mundane thing. I, always, I just always think about this when I'm changing a diaper. That's the work of the Lord. I'm having mercy on my child and everybody else in the house. That's the work of the Lord. Um, and I've abounded in that. <laughs> but what, what are the results of that? If you said to the world, hey, I'm doing the work of the Lord now. I'm going to go in there and change my kid's diaper. The world would be like, what? Be scoffing. You're just, you're just, this is just a necessary evil. You've got to get out of the way. No. No, this is a good body that God has made doing what it's supposed to. And I am abounding in the work of the Lord. So you, as you begin to recognize that the work you do, one of the things that makes it the work of the Lord is when it's done in Christ. When it's not done as a, something I just have to do and, and, and it's apart from who I am in Christ. And that begins to cover all kinds of things. So again, the, the epistles will just open up to us what that looks like. What is that work? For the, for the Corinthians, by the way, one of the things it was was stop doing stuff for yourself and, and be thinking about others and doing it for them. That's one of the main themes that comes out of the book of Corinthians. Stop just thinking about yourself. Think about others. Abound in the work of the Lord. Why? Because that work is not in vain. We know with confidence that our work done in the name of Jesus is never wasted. That our ministry empowered by the Spirit is never fruitless. And so, because Jesus has won the victory, we live victorious lives. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for this um, mystery unfolded here for us, uncovered for us by Paul so that we might have hope so that we might hold fast to Jesus to the very end knowing that when this body is laid in the grave it is not even the end of the body for it will be resurrected at some point 
into an imperishable body, glorified, powerful, spirit animated. We long for that day. But Father, help us in longing for that day not to miss the present and what you have for us to do in these weak bodies that we have that you have prepared for us to do your work. And the weakness is so good because then it reminds us that all that we do is done in your strength and your power, for we in and of ourselves are nothing. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mike Nye of Durkeetown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.